0: Hi, welcome to the Mastermind Project Podcast. My name is Brian McRae. I'm the founder of the Mastermind Project. And this podcast is intended to help you grow as a leader, to grow in productivity, and also to grow in relationships. Those are the three topics that we will always talk about here at the Mastermind Project. Chances are you're a small business owner or maybe a commission sales professional and you're looking to grow. And we know that growth doesn't happen accidentally. It happens intentionally. So once a month we host an event designed to help givers grow. And so that's what we're here for. And this podcast is taken from a general session of a portion of our live event, uh, which we've now gone to virtual uh, as of 2020. So if you're comfortable, please join us, feel free to join us and you can go to www.briankmcrae.com. And you can register for our next event, which is the third Thursday of the month. So sit back and enjoy the shared learning experience here of the Mastermind Project. So those are the three principles, the three pillars of everything we're going to do. It's leadership, productivity, and, uh, and relationships, uh, and getting referrals through that. So with that in mind, and it's all doing it with a giving heart, not being a, known as a taker, but being known as a giver in the, in the, in the community. And what a better way than to, uh, than to bring in John David Mann to talk about being a go-giver. So back in 2008, John David Mann and Bob Berg wrote a book. Um, called the Go Giver, but I'm going to take a second. I'm going to read just a few of the accolades. Um, so first of all, our guest today—he's a, a, a nine-time New York best-selling, New York Times best-selling author. Um, there's Nautilus Awards, Axiom Business Awards. Um, he's gotten a Taiwan Golden Book Award for innovation. Now the key component, this little book that you see on the screen right here, The Go Giver. In 2017, it was awarded the Living Now Book Award. It's called an evergreen medal. Evergreen is something that it, that can go on forever. It will remain green forever. And then it says for continued, uh, for contribution to positive global change. So let me just ask you this. When's the last time you got to spend an hour or so with somebody who got an award for their contribution to positive global change? So with that, what I'm going to do is I'm going to bring in John <laughs> David Mann. I'm going to set that stage and uh, for your contributions to positive global change. So John, if you could, there we go. We're putting them on uh, putting them on the screen so he can take over and uh, walk us through the five laws of stratospheric success. Um, let's uh, do me a favor, everybody. Let's give John David Mann a, uh, a Zoom hands, warm mastermind project welcome. Or you can, yeah, there we go. There's the Zoom hands, <laughs> all right. <laughs> welcome John, we're glad to have you.
1: Likewise, thank you. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, that, those are some, boy, those are some big shoes to fill. I got to live up to everything you just said <laughs> about me. Um, you know, it, it occurred to me, I, I, um, I'm like everyone here. I'm in a, I'm in a performance-based profession. I, I don't sell real estate. I don't sell mortgages. I don't sell insurance, but uh, I'm, I'm not on salary. <laughs> uh, I work for myself. Um, what I, I guess what I sell is thoughts. I, I sell stories that convey thoughts and hopefully on my better days, they convey knowledge, maybe even some wisdom, but you know, that's really what, what I do. So I'm always concerned um, from the very beginning to now, and will always be concerned into the future with uh, how do I thrive in my profession? How do I make this work? How do I, how do I keep the lights on (laughs) in my house, feed my family, and and thrive. Um, so it's you know it, the definition of an entrepreneur is that you are you know you're self generating. Um, you if, if it's to be as the expression goes, it's up to me. That's true for me as as well as it is for for most of you in this room in this big room. So I want to talk about the economy, the economics of relationships. To kick us off, let's start with this quick story about a man named Gary. This was in two thousand five. Early like February of 2005, I got a phone call from this guy I knew, a man named Gary. I had known him many years earlier in a prior career when I was involved in natural foods and nutrition and that whole world of health counseling. Um, I've had kind of a patchwork quilt of careers through my life. This writing thing came late. I'd known Gary, but I hadn't talked to him for probably 20 years. And he, he called me and said, hey, listen, my wife and I have written this cookbook. And we have an agent who's willing to sell it, but uh, we have a problem, which is that we don't know how to write a cookbook. (laughs) I mean, we have all the ideas, we have the recipes, we have the concepts, but we don't know how to put it together into a cogent, coherent book proposal that our agent can take to New York and sell. We'd like to hire you to do this book proposal, and I said, "Okay, this is great," because I was starving at the time. Uh, I was working as an editor, and I was—I was doing all right. I'm exaggerating, but idea of a, of a little freelance job was appetizing. And I said, sure. And he said, so um, give me an estimate of what that would cost. And I said, I gave him a number, which I, as I recall, was $1,500. He said, okay, let me make a different proposal. Aha. I knew what that meant. It meant we don't have $1,500. In fact, knowing their situation, I had a feeling they had bookus, They had nothing. He said, how about if we pay you nothing and you write the proposal, and then you write the book with us, and we'll split it with you 50-50. And at that instant, two things happened. The first thing that happened was my business model was born. <laughs> That's how I've done every book since. Uh, I get paid nothing up front. I split it 50-50 with whoever I write it with, if I have a partner, which in most books I do. Um, which puts, you know, It puts my skin in the game, which I like. The second thing it did was it it, uh, introduced me to a project with Gary, which was the last time I ever saw him, the last time I ever heard from him. I wrote a proposal. I sent it to him. Agent sent it to New York. New York didn't want it. Gary didn't answer his phone calls. And I never heard from Gary again. I've tried to find him. Gary Smith, if you're out there watching this right now, I'm here in New England (laughs) looking for you. Uh, Wonderful guy, but he vanished off the face of the earth. But not before he gave me a referral to his agent, which was useful to me because at that time, I had this other friend, a guy named Bob, who had approached me. Now at the time, as I said, I was working as an editor, but my aspiration, my dream was to go big, was to reach a lot of people. I've never been satisfied reaching a few people. I always have wanted to reach a lot of people with big impact of ideas. So I had decided I'm going to become a screenwriter. I'm going to go to Hollywood and I'm going to write great screenplays that make huge movies that sell billions of tickets and I'm going to have an influence in the entire world. That was my dream. That was my plan. And that was what I was executing. I was studying screenwriting. I went to Hollywood to take some workshops and I was studying with a screenwriting teacher and I had written several screenplays and all that was ruined my whole career by another friend named Bob. Bob approached me in late 2004 and said, I had this idea for a book it's like you know the term go-getter i'm like yeah i know that he said well this would be go giver like turn the idea on its head and i said huh i don't see it (laughs) i confess i said i'm not sure i really get the concept how does that work and he he's sketched out his idea for the for the setup of the book i thought "Ah, you know i don't really have time for this i told my wife i don't have time i can't write a book I'm going to Hollywood to be a screenwriter. But you know the expression, when man plans, God laughs. So God was holding his sides and just rolling in the aisles at some point because I had this great plan and Bob had just destroyed it. So I said to my wife, you know, I can't do this. I don't wanna do this. I don't have time to do this, but it's Bob. Bob is a friend. So we should look at it at least. So we went to Florida, we met with Bob. Kicked around some ideas for a couple of characters and a couple of scenes. And I went back home to New England. And a few weeks later, I sat down and I wrote a chapter. And it was the chapter about Deborah Davenport, if you've read the book, who is a realtor who has a discovery, who discovers the law of authenticity. And I wrote this chapter and I thought, wow, this is working. This is cool. I like this. And I sent it off to Bob by email. He said, this is great. Keep going. Keep going. And we went back and forth, and in six weeks, six weeks, we'd banged out the manuscript of what would become the Go Giver. Um, the Go Giver. Here's my point: um, the Go Giver launched my career. Uh, it, it, as as Brian said, it sold over a million copies. It has, cre- it has led me unintentionally, without my plan, into the life that God put me here to to do. This is what I was designed to do. This is what I was put in the planet for. And I was too stupid to know it, <laughs> but, but that didn't stop it from happening. And it only happened because of two relationships, two friendships I had with this guy named Gary, with whom I agreed to write a book for nothing. And this friend named Bob, for whom I agreed to drop all my plans and participate in this project that I, I, I didn't fully understand. Um, and It's relationships. It's the economics of relationships. The reason I have this slide up is that the the relationships work by a different kind of economics than what we normally think of as economics. There's two kinds of economics. There's the economics of matter, you could say, or stuff. And there's the economics of people. You might even say the economics of spirit. And they're completely different. And this can be confusing. Business is the conjunction of these two kinds of economics. So let me briefly explain how they're different. The economics of stuff is traditional economics, which has been called for, uh, for centuries now, the dismal science. Economics is called the dismal science because it is this, it's, this, it's the study of, of things diminishing, of resources vanishing. <laughs> if I have 18 cords of wood and I give you nine cords of wood, I've only got nine cords of wood left. I gave you some of my stuff, now I'm missing that stuff. I don't have that stuff. If I loan you 50 bucks, you're 50 bucks richer, I'm 50 bucks poorer. That's how economics works, supply and demand. It's like you give and then you don't have. That's the economics of matter. And it follows kind of Newton's laws of mechanics. It's very, it's, it's very simple thermodynamic process. The economics of relationships is the opposite. Economic relationships is really strange. And let's advance this, advance this slide because the next slide tells you what, what the, the the well, that's the same slide, but we're getting warm. And it's, well, there it is. The Pindar Principle, uh, which Bob and I kind of dubbed for the Go-Giver books, says, the more you give, the more you have, which flies in the face of economics, of traditional economics, of material economics. Because in spiritual economics, or you could say human economics, relationship economics, when I give you some of my knowledge, I don't have less. Now you have more, but I haven't lost. If anything, I've actually gained. When I quit my job as an editor of a business journal to write books full time, I told my employer, my publisher, my, my partner, I said, look, I got I to gotta split. I'm editor in chief, but I, I got to go write books. So I'll make you a deal. I will leave, but I won't leave until I've fully trained my replacement. Well, the replacement finally turned out to be his wife, who was a brilliant woman, but who's, who for whom English was her third language. But she's brilliant. And so we made it a, we made a go of it. I spent a year with her training her how to edit, how to, to take pieces of writing that were mediocre and make them shine, make them, make them excellent. And she was brilliant. She caught it. She did a phenomenal job, but I learned more than she did in the process. I, I, it was the beginning of my understanding how writing works, not by doing it, but by teaching it. I imparted a whole lot of knowledge to her, knowledge I didn't know I had, by the way. Did I lose? I gained. I ended up far richer. And that's how the economics of relationships work. When you give love, you get more love. When you give respect, you gain more respect. It's taken me a long time to learn this, but I've even discovered that when you give someone your time, mysteriously and weirdly, you end up with more time. took me a long time to get that one. I never really had poverty mentality in relation to money, but I always had poverty mentality in relation to time. And I'm, I'm finally in my 60s starting to, to um, I think I've pretty successfully gotten through that. And I, I understand now that we live in a world of abundance. We live in a world of, of eternal and endless creation of wealth, of riches. Um, it's just that our system of material economics isn't very good for keeping track of that on the universal scale. It's great for keeping track of it in terms of your household budget. By the way, the, the word economics comes from the Greek word for household, oikos. It's, 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 it stems from the science of keeping track of your household <laughs> and keeping track of the toilet paper and the, and the beans and the, and the electricity and the other material stuff in your household. Traditional economics is great how much money is in our account, how much do we need to spend on, on you know, this and that. But the household in terms of your relationship with your kids, relationship with your spouse, that doesn't operate by Newton mechanics, by, by traditional economics, it operates by spiritual economics. So that's the Pindar principle, and that's what's at the heart of all the Go Giver books. I say that because there are five Go Giver books. The first one is the Go Giver. This is the book that uh, Dan was showing. uh, I'm sorry, Brian was showing. I saw Dan Lewis, and I suddenly got Dan in my head. This is the original book. There are four more, and they all have the same principle at the heart: the more you give, the more you have. So, what does this have to do with business? So, um, let's advance the slide. The first, um, in The Go-Giver, there are, as Brian hinted, five laws of stratospheric success. And the first law is called the law of value. The Go-Giver, by the way, is a parable. Um, parables have, for some time now, proven as pretty good ways of getting wisdom across, getting thoughts across. So The Go-Giver is a parable. It's a story about a young man named Joe who's having a struggle in his business. He is in a performance-based profession. And uh, though the book never really says what that profession is. And so he's struggling to get ahead. He's a real go-getter, but it's not happening for him. And so he he goes through, he goes through a series of meetings over the course of a week with five interesting people and um, learns five laws of stratospheric success. And the first one's called the law of value. Your true worth is determined by how much more you give in value than you take in payment. So on the face of it, that sounds like the law of bankruptcy. Right? <laughs> you give more stuff away than you take in payment. Pretty soon, you'll have no stuff, and you and you'll have because you didn't get enough payment for it, right? But this is the 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 human side. This is the spiritual economics um, that underlies all business. All business is relationships. All business is people. So all business has a foundation in the material world of mechanical economics, but it's all governed by human economics of relationships. So when we say your true worth, we mean not only your true worth in terms of your worth as a human being, your worth as a partner, as a spouse, as a member of a community, it's also your true worth, like your your bank account. The value of your business is going to be created over time by how much more you pack in value, how much more you pack into your business than you're charging for give you a great example. Um, this is an example everybody uses all the time, but I'll go ahead and use it. And that's Apple Computer. I remember when the first Mac came out because I bought the first Mac when it came out. And and um, up until that time, nobody had ever heard the word font. None of us knew what fonts were. What's a font? It's like a fountain. Nobody knew what fonts were until Steve Jobs inculcated his love of calligraphy into the design of the first Macintosh, which introduced us to the idea that you could make all kinds of different letter shapes. Did we need all kinds of different letter shapes? Not really. Did we even know we wanted them? Not at all. We, we, the marketplace didn't have a clue that we were hungry for individual and all kinds of interestingly shaped letters. It's like, we just wanted like write the words, but he gave it to us. He packed all this design value into these, these fascinating fonts. And the world of personal computing was changed forever. And Apple became the largest company in the world because he packed more value into that initial computing experience that he was charging for, even though they were kind of pricey. And that's the whole, the whole, the execution of the first law, you could say, is the hyper concentration of value in whatever it is that you do. my, we use, Bob and I use the term in our second book, go Giver Sell More, which is about the go principles applied to sales. We talk about uh, Hitchcock's concept of the MacGuffin. But Hitchcock had this thing he called the MacGuffin, which was the thing that the the, the movie looks like it's about, but it's not really about. Um, so like, you know, in, in uh, The Raiders of the Lost Ark, you know, it's, it, the movie is about chasing the Ark of the Covenant, but it is really about Ark. And you know, later they're chasing the holy grail, but it isn't really the holy grail. Um, in, in, um, all, in all kinds of stories, the hero is going after something, but the thing they're going after isn't really what the story is about. Your business is about something. Maybe you sell insurance, maybe you sell cars, maybe you sell homes, maybe you sell mortgages. Whatever it is that you sell, I sell stories. Whatever it is that you sell, that isn't really what you sell. That's only the wrapping. It's only the package. If you run a restaurant, you're selling calories, right? No, you're not. You're not selling calories. That's only the wrapping. What you're selling is the value that you've packed in. So the question you've got to ask yourself is, what value do I have to pack in and what value are people looking for? By the way, it's not all, people don't always know they're looking for it. Remember Steve Jobs fonts. Um, I don't just sell stories. I try to sell stories into which which I've packed so much thought and care in the wordsmithing of it, in the thoughts behind it, that um, when people read it, they can't help telling other people. That's how books sell. Um, That's how your business sales. You you guys have a referral academy, right? It's all about referral. Referral is because of value. Value is the essence of what you have to offer. And so you can't measure that by payment because if you use the example in the go-giver of of a restaurant, a truly great restaurant puts far more value into the experience of a meal than you could possibly charge for because nobody would be able to come to it. So that's the law of value. Um, I guess in the interest of time, I need to go quicker than I I would I would like to, but i I'll go ahead to slide two. If the law of value says how much you're worth, it doesn't necessarily say how much you're paid. <laughs> because practically speaking, how much you're paid, this is the law of compensation, is determined by how many people you serve and how well you serve them. It's about touching lives. It's about the number of lives you touch. It's about getting out getting your value out there into the world. So there are lots of ways. Um, you know, how do I increase the number of people that I touch? How do I increase my impact? You could also call this the law of impact in a sense. We call it law of compensation because that's the result. You want the compensation. In the book, we talk about uh, we give an example of a school teacher who had created all these games for her kids, and the way that she increased the number of lives that she touched was that she turned it into software, so she could market it to millions of people. That's one way to increase your value, to change to a new medium. Obviously, with digital technology, a lot of people have have made that kind of shift, have repackaged what they do in a format that can reach more people. That's one way, but it's not the only way. There are so many ways to increase your impact. One of them is to make it, and this is maybe more available to everybody, make it really easy for people to explain what you do. Um, Articulate your unique value, the unique value of your business in such a way that people can quickly and easily in a sentence, tell their friends, tell other people. Um, You could call it the law of articulation in a way. I mean, this is what all of marketing, all of positioning is about. It's about telling your story in a way that people get it and they retell it. And the reason for that is that there is no more method of advertising and marketing that is more powerful than person to person, word of mouth. So really the execution of the law of compensation is about hyper articulation. Is about articulating the value of what you do, that hyper-concentrated value you packed into your business, articulating it to people in such a way that they're gonna pass it on like a fire, like they can't help it. So um, let's go on to, to, to slide three or to the next slide, whatever number it is, the third law. This kind of uh, law of compensation kind of leads to this, which is the law of influence because the channels through which news of your business travels are your network of influence, your sphere of influence. You could also call this the law of reputation. Um, And the law simply says your influence is determined by how abundantly you place other people's interests first. I remember wording that. I forget how it was originally worded. I originally had some other wording that was crummy and you, you wouldn't care for it and you wouldn't remember it. <laughs> and I, this is the one that I worked on most to figure out exactly how to word. And I remember coming up with the word abundantly and saying, oh, that makes it work. You're determined by how abundantly you place other people's interests first. And there, what that means is, abundantly means without thought to limit. Abundantly means without concern about, uh, uh, for tat about you know what time is it about you know where's the bank account at how, how's the clock ticking? Abundantly. So it means you place other people's interests first you know in, in totally carefree like you're you know you have so much money you're throwing out handfuls of cash out the window. <laughs> you place other people's interests first because that's how you build influence because that's how you you pour value into the world. Now understand what I'm saying. When you put other people's interests first, it doesn't mean you suddenly attain sainthood. When you put your customers, when you you take the time and care to figure out what your customer is looking for, yeah, they wanna buy a house. Do they really wanna buy a house? Do they wanna buy security? Do they wanna buy freedom? Do they wanna buy luxury? Do they wanna buy uh, uh, convenience? Do they wanna buy access to the particular area? Do they wanna buy a certain kind of community? What is it that they are looking for as they go to buy a house? Once you've determined what it is they want, that becomes the center of the stage for you. Like nothing else matters. The spotlight is on that. And you're not, you, you, you put that so so front and center that you're not even thinking about anything else. Now, here's the thing. It doesn't mean your self-interest disappear. It doesn't mean, as I said, you suddenly attain sainthood. Um, it doesn't mean there isn't this niggling voice in the back of your head saying, yeah, but... Uh, I can't, I'm not even gonna make next, next month's mortgage. Uh, you know, we're, we're, uh, we're this much shy of this month's budget. The realities of your own need, the realities of your own wants are, are there, they're realities, you don't make them vanish. What you do is you just temporarily set them to the side. It's like when you go into a movie theater, you temporarily suspend disbelief, is the expression they use. The temporary suspension of disbelief is necessary for you to enjoy the movie. Because when you're sitting in the theater seats or you're sitting at your home watching your TV screen, it's no fun for you if you say, oh, he's not really jumping off that cliff with a rope. It's actually a studio and this is all done with CGI. You know that's true. But if, you, if you're tracking that way, it, it, it takes away the fun, the experience. It ruins the experience of the movie. It's the same way with your, with your sales exchange, you know, you need the sale, but you got to put that aside. Cause if you're thinking about that, you're going to ruin the experience front and center is, this is the movie I'm watching. The movie I'm watching is they want security. They want community. They want whatever it is that they want. So how can I get that? That's the only thing that's important to me. Um, and this goes to the, to the fourth law, it, it, The fourth law is the law of authenticity, which simply says the most valuable thing you have to offer is yourself. Give yourself to people. People, uh, when they buy the house, the reason they buy the house from you isn't just the house, it's you. People are, in the exchange, they're buying you. I had a friend who was a a realtor, I keep going back to real estate, um, who noticed as she was selling houses that when they were in the house walking around, it was difficult to connect with people because they were they were they were dealing with the walking around, looking at the house. That the only time they really had to connect was when she was driving people, um, uh, you know, from one house to the next. But they were, but the customer was following them, in her car, and so they couldn't connect at all. So she started getting people in her car, but there was a problem because she was driving and she would have to turn, turn around to look at the people, and it was no connection. It was very difficult because she had to turn around to look. So. She was in Europe, as it happened, she was in the UK, and she happened to see this car, car that had the driver's seat in front, and then behind it had two facing seats like a limousine, two big bank seats facing each other. She said, that's it. She bought the car and had it shipped to her, her home. She had to go in, you know, into hock, she did it on credit. She had the car, she got the car at home, and she started, she hired a driver for something very, very inexpensive. And she started driving her clients around in this car where she and they could sit face to face in these banks in these bank seats and she was able to create a great connection and she became the the highest selling realtor in in her whole tri-city area largely because of the connection she got with people when they were driving from house to house to house it wasn't the houses it was the connection that's the law of authenticity now my wife and i were recently promoting a book that we just did another go giver book we'll get to it later Um, And on the course of it, we went on over a hundred podcasts. We went to, we just did podcast after podcast after podcast. And there were a handful of them that were really big, like people with huge audiences and huge downloads. Uh, And they were like the prizes of podcasts numerically in terms of, of impact of reaching larger numbers of people. And there were people like Larry Hagner and Dr. Kim Kimberling and Whitney Johnson and John Lee Dumas. Dan, Dan Lewis is here. Dan was one of our podcast hosts. And in, in these podcasts that had the biggest audiences, we, off, we typically went on and were intimidated because we're thinking, oh, these guys are really, really big. And so we would we, get in the podcast room and we would discover, shouldn't have been a surprise, but somehow it was. But they were the most easygoing, the most relaxed. We had the most fun. It felt the least like we were on stage. It felt the least like a show. It felt the most relaxed. So we like had to pinch ourselves, remind ourselves, I'm talking to Kim Kimberling right now, or I'm talking with Dan Lewis," so or I'm talking with, with John Lee Dumas right now. Or we had to remind her. They were the most relaxed. They were the most like sitting in the living room talking. And after I got off these podcasts, it occurred to me, oh, yeah. That's why they're so big. That's why they have such big audiences because that's who they are. Because it's not like a show, because it's not like being on stage, because it's just like being with them. So onto the fifth law. The fifth law is the law of receptivity. And this is for me in a way, the most important. The key to effective giving is to stay open to receiving. These five laws are like four fingers and a thumb. And this is the thumb. And over the decade plus that Bob and I have been teaching this book, this is what we hear people say. The first four laws, I get those. They feel sort of natural. I've always felt like I'm kind of a giver at heart. But the fifth law feels weird to me. It's hard for me to receive. I don't know. I'm having a a difficult time with that law. So I want to explain this. It's really, really important. This is like the golden rule turned inside out. The golden rule says, do unto others, treat others the way you would like to be treated, right? The way, the way you would like them to do unto you. Um, the, the law of influence, law number three, is the platinum rule, which says treat others not the way you would like to be treated, treat others the way they want to be treated. You know, give them what they're looking for. But this law, the law of receptivity, takes the golden rule and turns it inside out. And it says, treat yourself the way you would like to treat others. Ask yourself how you like to treat others, how you, how you would want to treat others on your best day. <clears throat> would you like to cheat people? Now, of course not. I'm guessing the answer is no. No, you don't want to cheat people. Then you understand you can't cheat yourself. Do you want to give people short shrift? No. you don't. Do you want to ignore people? No, of course not. So you can't ignore yourself. You're a human. If you ignore yourself, you're ignoring one of God's creatures. The fifth law is about you could say it's about having self respect. And there's a law, there's a, a line in the, in the book, The Go Giver Leader, it's one of the Go Giver books that says uh, self respect is where every other kind of respect comes from. You can't genuinely respect other people, genuinely respect other people if you don't have healthy self respect. Um, the fifth law is about holding yourself in esteem so that if somebody is going to give you something, it's okay. Um, when was the last time you received a compliment, for example? Someone said, hey, you're, lo- you're looking great today. Or that is a f- fantastic job you did with that flyer. Or, you know, that's whatever. Somebody paid you a compliment. And, and did you have the impulse to send it back to them? <laughs> Say, you know, not at this address. <laughs> oh, no, it was nothing. Thanks. Thanks. But it was, you know, it was just like, oh, uh, it was a team effort. Which, which, which—that's a nice thing to say. It was a team effort, and that's often a good thing to say. But sometimes it's a sneaky way of saying, "No, no, 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 no. I don't want that compliment. Take it away, take it away. I am not worthy. I am not worthy. Yes, you are." (laughs) So the fifth law. Here's the thing about that: if you don't practice the fifth law, the other four don't work. If you try to to do a whole lot with with just four fingers, it's hard to use a tool and build a house. It's hard to hold a pen and write a book. Um, it's hard to hold your children and tell them you love them if you don't use your thumbs. Thumbs are pretty essential. This is the thumb, the law of receptivity. You have to stay open to receiving. And When the book came out, people would tell me about, Oh, I read your book and I, God, I loved it. Go give it. It's so fantastic. I realized I got to start giving, giving my stuff away for free. And, and Bob and her like, no, 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 no. <laughs> that's, not, that's not what the book says. If you do that, um, you may aspire to sainthood, but you're, you're also going to very unfortunately go broke. That's not the plan. Go givers love to receive, go givers love to accrue in their bank accounts. Go givers like to be like love wealth, they love abundance. You can't be a go giver if you don't appreciate the nature of this abundant universe and participate in it. So let me wrap this up because I, I think I'm probably already way over time. And I, I really endorse and support Brian's value of punctuality. It shows respect for you all. Let me sum this up real, real quickly by saying, Bob and I wrote the book. As you know, it got published. As you know, in uh, very beginning of two thousand eight, and it, it hit a few bestseller lists, Wall Street Journal and USA Today, and this and that. And it was doing okay, did pretty well. And then the two thousand eight crash happened, which many of you will remember. People were suddenly underwater. Their 401Ks disappeared, everything tanked. We nearly spiraled into into a full-blown depression. It was just awful, right? And Bob and I were thinking, how is our little book about being a nice person, these values of giving, how is that going to work out in a world where people suddenly lost all the value in their house and they're scrambling just to survive? And the book did better. In 2009, sales didn't go down. They went up and they never stopped. They went up and they went up and they went up. And what I learned from that was that in times of economic struggle, people take stock and they they feel an urge, not only articulated, but they feel an urge to reevaluate what's important, what matters. When we we wrote this book, uh, Go Give or Sell More, in the depths of the recession of 2009, and there's a chapter in here, which I forget what it's called, I think it's called Your Economy, And it's about creating your own economy within the larger economy. It's about carving out a place in this world where you have increased value, even as your marketplace is tanking and is desperate as in in a struggle. That is as applicable today, obviously, as it was in 2009. Here we are again. Here we are again, a crash, a a disaster. We're, We're still the impact of COVID. The real estate market is tanked. Who knows what's going to happen with war in Ukraine and with the worldwide supplies of energy and wheat and with all the ripple effect that's all that going to have. We're in crisis mode. But we have tools to create our own economy within that crisis mode. Go-giver is not a magic wand. You can't just wave it and suddenly get wealthy in a world of poverty. It's not like that. But these principles, if you take them to heart and you, and you synthesize them, you, you, you uh, integrate them into your into your, your actions, into your life, they will create value that will carve a place in your marketplace.
0: Mm. Wow.
1: Over to you, Big Brian.
0: Well, John, that uh, that is, uh, I mean, literally the author of this is kind of walking us through this. So um, the stories that you've woven in there, um, John, are awesome. But I think when we talked, and I think the thing that was most important to you, first of all, thank you, for unpacking those five laws with us. So uh, we'll do the zoom hands again, just to say thank you for uh come on mastermind project. We got to give some hands here to John. So um, I wish there was a way to do some applause, but uh, that, that might be a little, that's good. Yeah. So, but thank you. Uh, number one, number two, when we were talking and we were prepping for this, the thing that you said you were most that, that fed you most was some Q and A. So yeah. um, so we've kind of carved this out so that uh, that we get a chance to interact because it's not often you get the chance, like I said, to have the chance to interact with somebody who's gotten an award for positive global change. So, so let's spend some time here, and if you could jump into the chat box with some questions. But uh, John, I'm going to get to get started here real quick. Um, I appreciate the rundown of the, um, you know, the similarities between when the book was released and today's market because we are seeing that, and I appreciate that rundown. But you know why5 laws what where did that come from
1: um, when Bob had the original idea for the book he had what he had a the, the core concept which which in time became the law of value that was kind of what what you know what, what the book was about um, for Bob and as I started writing through it I knew that we needed to explain more than just that and I've always been a big fan of the number five. It's my composer's backgrounds. I had I had a career as a composer, and the pentatonic scale was in was in my mind, and um, I, I I just I knew that there there were this was like a a, um, a stone that had facets to it, and that there there were it was it was a more slightly more complex issue than just build value, give people more value than you take in payment. Um, I think that phrase, "give people more value than taking payment, is a paraphrase of something from, um, I'm forgetting what, a book that Bob loves that I've, I've forgotten the title of it, but you know it wasn't original. And so just once we had the story and the situation, I kind of walked through the story, experiencing the dilemma of this guy, Joe, and one by one, the laws just kind of suggested themselves. They're a, they're a distillation of what Bob has observed and what I have observed, what both of our our life experiences, we knew each other well enough. We knew each other's work well enough that it's like, this is how we, this is how we see that the universe works. And, um, the the composer in me just loved the loved the number five, and I realized that the that the fifth law I have always believed something that Pindar says in the end that the you know that the the universe is is, is, is paradoxical, and there's always a bit of you know a bit of opposite tuck, tucked inside everything, the sort of a yin and yang sort of thing, um, that there is always a jewel of hope in the dark times, there's always a seed of decay in the in in success, and that there was always going to be something opposite about giving, which was receiving.
0: Ah. It's interesting. So the opposite of giving is receiving, not taking.
1: Yeah. Taking is a whole, taking is sort of a collapse of the concept of giving. It's not so much the opposite. Like for example, in the go-giver marriage, book we'll probably mention later is, is we say that hate is not the opposite of love. The opposite of love is, is ambivalence. Mm -hmm. Um, The opposite of, of, of give is not take. The opposite of give is is really receive because you have to have both for mm. it, for it to work. It's like two sides of a, of a piston cycle.
0: Yeah, that's good. So the um, I'm going to move over. We got some questions coming in from the audience here. Yeah. Um, so Derek Stevens, um, he and uh, uh, has been attending this event for a long time, and Derek uh, Derek really grooms leaders in the uh, in the financial services industry. But uh, Derek just wanted to, his question was for uh, for the all the new business owners in the room, um, uh, when you need the business to pay the bills, how do you apply the go-giver laws without the anxiety that if you don't go get the business, you won't be able to make ends meet?
1: Boy, that is always the big question. If you don't, and you know, it isn't just for new business owners. It's also for old business owners. <laughs> um, when you genuinely need, this is why I said this thing before, when you genuinely have a need that's pressing, how do you get out of the mindset of that and not let it kind of infect your dialogue with your, with your potential customer. Um, You know, and uh, I've never had a great answer for that. So I always try to find reasonable answers for that. I think it's sort of a question of emotional intelligence. It's almost a matter of emotional maturity. You have to be able to say, it's kind of like when you have kids and you're in a hurry to get somewhere, but they need your attention. You have to kind of, You know you're in a hurry to get somewhere, but you have to, let's get that out of your voice and say, okay, okay, Tommy, what do you need? It's like that with a customer. You know you really need this sale, but you can't let that drive the conversation. So you simply have to set it aside and you have to say, I care about you, so what can I do for you? It is helpful, uh, I think, preparatory to the exchange when you're by yourself, to really review what's my value. What do I have for, what do I have to offer? Not just in terms of what the, what the, what they you know, the, the literature says, but in terms of what you believe and ask yourself, what do I, what do I believe I really have to offer? What is it? How is this person's life going to be remarkably improved by their interaction with me? Yeah. And just really get clear on that. That helps you to put your need to the side and folks, how can I help you? How can I, what can we do together? And also, also the, other th- the other part of it is, you have to have kind of this abiding spirit of trust. That mm. This transaction doesn't come, a better one's coming. There is this kind of faith in the absolute that I have had to use, believe it or not, again and again and again in the world of, of, of writing. I've had so many book projects that didn't work, that I put nine months into, and, then, and they never sold. And I always have to have faith that the better is coming. Yeah, that's good.
0: You know... John I think um, uh, I think um, Adam Grant is somebody you've probably run in circles with with his uh, yeah his book Give and take yeah um, and he did a study on this and so Derek, I think your question is absolutely fundamentally we all have bills to pay we all have selfish yep. desires it's how we pursue those selfish desires um, so that's just my color on this I'm not a best-selling author but I think it does start with mindset. And um, that's what I loved about Adam's book is that he's scientific. He did a science. You're a, a, scien- a best.
1: You're a best-selling person.
0: Yeah. Well, <laughs> a, very kind. Same thing. <laughs> um, the the point of it is is that he did a study that said that givers end up end up succeeding. But here's some parameters on how to do it. And so I think it's a mindset. Um, just would be my flavor on that, Derek. Would be it's a mindset, and it is the law of process. It's understanding that being a giver will ultimately pay off if you understand the parameters in which you can do it. But adding value to others is at the core of it, the best way to play the long game. The takers may win yeah. in the short run, but they, may, they they don't win in the long run. So, anyway, that's just, um, just some perspective. So, um, all right. So, uh, next question. Um, you know, if you could, because uh, we're going to get going through time here, but one of the things that I wanted to ask you was, What has the go-giver meant to you
1: personally? Um, In in so many ways, certainly uh, at least a few, the go-giver, I kind of divide my life into before go-giver and after go-giver. It is a demarcation point in my life. Let's give two reasons. One of them is it started my career. And as I said in the beginning, it. Um, brought me kicking and screaming into the world, <laughs> like, like most of us were brought into the world. It pulled me into the career that I, I am clear God put me to have and put me here to have. This is the reason I, I, there was a it was a Johnny B Man created. I I could do lots of other things. We could all do lots of other things, and I did lots of other things. I enjoyed some, enjoyed others less. But this is what I was supposed to be doing, and I didn't know it. All of the best things in my life have happened not as a result of my plan. I didn't plan my wife. I didn't plan this life. I didn't plan the go-giver and all the books that came after. Um, so it, it, is, it launched my career. The other thing was it kind of helped me articulate what, how I understood the world worked. And I had already done that to some extent. I had a sales business myself, and I had uh, at one point 100,000 people uh, roughly in my organization that I I was responsible for for inspiring and guiding and leading. And I wrote newsletters and some of these ideas were already articulated there, but I hadn't really sort of pulled together a whole philosophy of this is how I see the world and writing being forced by circumstance and Bob to write the go-giver allowed me a chance to sort of take stock and say, Oh, this is what I think. Ah, and uh, that's, that's just, change the nature of my life. This whole idea, for example, of having time abundance, that happened as a result of the fact that I'd said it in the Go-Giver. I went, oh, if I'm saying that, I should really learn how to experience that.
0: That reminds me of the old adage. They say the teacher often teaches what they need to learn most. Is it Would you say that it's true that the writer often writes what they need to learn most?
1: Joan Didion once said, I write to find out what I think. And I, I stole that line, or actually I borrowed that line and put it in the Go-Giver Leader. And, and I have I have Aunt Elle say to Ben, say, a writer I admire once said, I write to find out what I think. And then she says, you know what I think, Ben? I think we live to find out who we are. It's like this life of ours is a book we're writing. And we don't know what the book is about, but the discovery of what the book is about is why we're writing it. And um, that's, you know, what our life is like. And that's certainly what I agree. Yeah, that's that's how it is. I think that's why, that's why you're right. Find out what yeah. you think, learn what you need to learn. That's awesome.
0: No, I, I, I love that. So thank you for sharing that. Um, all right, uh, Dan Lewigs, uh, he said, What? He's got two questions here. What um, uh, What is the law that most people have uh, trouble with?
1: <laughs> so I already gave him a clue to that one. Um, it is so interesting that the fifth law is the law that people stumble over. I mean, I, you ask people, What's your favorite law? And sometimes people say the law of authenticity, the law of influence, the law of this, the law of that. But with Almost without exception, the law that people stumble over is the law of receptivity because it feels icky to, to receive. It's like, uh, isn't that selfish? Uh, it's not selfish, but it is. It's like you go out to dinner with your friend and your friend says the, the check comes. Your friend grabs it and says, let me get this one. What do you do? You go, no, 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 you can't. No, I, no, I, no, I insist. I insist. No, I insist. What are you insisting about? <laughs> they are trying to give you something. Why stop it? Um, and, and of course, you know, I'll get dinner next time. There, there, is, there is, you know, a, a back and forth. There is an, uh, an equivalency about that. But it, it is difficult for us to receive, I think. And I don't know, I don't know, bottom line, why that is. I think that it is, it is some kind of issue with our own question about our own worth. This is why I said the fifth law is really the law of self-respect. You need to really hold yourself in esteem without feeling squeamish or funny about it or, or egotistic or any of those things. That takes emotional maturity. Yeah, that is good. Um, all right. I keep I'm using gonna... the phrase emotional maturity because it's what I need to learn. Go ahead,
0: please. Yeah, uh, Dan also wanted to know, tell us, about, uh, tell us about the law of left
1: field. Ah, that's a great question. So I don't think it's, it's it, it it isn't for sure. You won't find it in, in the Go-Giver. I think we may have mentioned it in the Go-Giver cell more. The law of left field is a law that I have observed throughout my life, but particularly in in some of the stories I just told you, which is those things of greatest value typically come from places you don't expect at times you don't expect that you could never have planned and you certainly couldn't have controlled. So when you, how this applies to to the basic principles of the go-giver is when you're a giver, when you're like adding value to people's lives and saying, I'm going to do with the, you know, what, my, what my potential customers want, what my customers want, my clients want, when you're giving, 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 if you're saying, hey, if you're thinking, hey, I just gave you a whole bunch of my time. Now, don't you think you should give me a little something? That isn't how it works. <laughs> um, the goal giver principles aren't tit for tat, right? They're not I scratch your back, you scratch mine. They don't work by a scorecard. Like I've given... Isn't it about time I got a little because what's going to happen is you give and then, yeah, you're going to get, but it's going to come from way over here on the side from someplace that you didn't expect. If you are building that influence, if you're building that network, if you're having that impact, if you're, if you're making yourself into a person whose life blesses all those around them, right? If you're, if you're creating those kinds of waves of positive positive impact in the world, data's going to boomerang back around and whack you in the back of the head from someplace that you absolutely did not see coming. And that has happened to me a time and time again. That's why I told the story about Gary and Bob in in the beginning of this talk. That wasn't unique. It's happened over and over to me. Mm, That's good. The the law of left field. Can't plan what God plans. He's, you know, it's, it's, we're not smart enough. The math is too complicated. All
0: right. The, um, so what uh what is there a particular law that you think people grab? Well, let me ask you this. What's your favorite law?
1: Um I think if you ask Bob, he might say his favorite is the law of influence, because that that is the topic near and dear to his heart. The law of authenticity um is, I mean, I love them all, it's like having five kids and saying, Who's your favorite kid, right? But the law of authenticity, and I say this in the in the back of the go-giver, um, was inspired by my wife. Um And and it's something I would, that whole principle that what you have most to offer in business is yourself. I think I learned that first from her. I didn't know all these things, you know, when I was 20 or 30, I mean, it's been a gradual process. And I think it's my favorite law first, because it comes from her. um, And she's evidence of it to this day. Uh, And, and second, because it's something that anybody can access so easily. And it's so powerful. And now someone says, well, how do I become authentic? You don't become authentic. You already are authentic. It's not what you, something you have to do. It's stuff you have to stop doing. Um, mm. You have to just understand that who you are matters, who you are has value. There is nobody else like you. You are absolutely unique. And no matter what business you're in, you bring yourself to the transaction, which makes it special. And yes, there may, you may need to bring other specific skill sets. In my profession, in my work right now, I have to bring specific skill sets around wordplay and editing and wordsmithing and, and so on. Um, but primarily, what I, when a book is working, when a story is working, it's because I'm tapping into who I am. Mm. And it's the same thing if you're selling houses or mortgage insurance. So the
0: law of authenticity. I knew there was a reason I
1: liked Donna. So um,
0: yeah, I, uh,
1: yeah. Hey, well, the most authentic uh, I, person ever that, hap-
0: that happens to be that that truthfully is probably the law of authenticity. You know, when when we look at the at the best gift we have to offer ourselves. Um, there is a a thread about this event that ties back to that because uh, many of you know, uh, and Michael Mayer is a good you know is somebody yeah. that you run in circles with. But Michael yeah. mayor, when he encouraged me to start this event, um, the law of oh. authenticity, the law of authenticity came through because I'm like, you know, I do believe that's why that's why leadership and personal development is one of the core yeah. pillars that we always talk about yeah. because yeah. if we grow ourselves, we have more to offer. and I think the mistake that many of us make in business is we go out trying to lead with just our core competency like we're the best mortgage guy or mm-hmm. the best insurance person. and that is a way to do business, but yeah. When we become more attractive in the market, you know, Jim Rohn said, when we work harder on yourself than you do on your job. And yes. so that's why books and your book is one that we, we digest. But I say it's a law of, of authenticity, at least for me personally, because it ties in. I knew I had to grow as a person. And for me, putting an event on the calendar once a month where you had to teach was something that forced me to grow. Yeah. And so I would just encourage you and tying this all back together, the reason this event exists for you. Is the law of authenticity? We want to help you grow in your leadership capability. We want to help you get the right things done, and yeah. we want to help you build better relationships so that the referrals flow in and you're radically referable. It all just ties back. So the law of authenticity. I hope you guys don't mind me sharing that, but that is absolutely my favorite law because when we add more value by growing ourselves, I think it's the most beautiful thing. So anyway, um, nicely put. So let's. Um, what I want to do is uh, spend a few minutes. Um, what I want you to do. We're gonna. I got one more question. And what I want you to do is what's been the most useful thing you've been taking away from today? Because we want you guys to know, as you, you know, we talk about apply, change, and teach the action that we take after this, apply, change, and teach. Um, do me a favor. I want you to go into the chat box and say, what, uh, what's something that you have learned today that you want to implement? Uh, Cause Ooh. we want to hear what's most impactful. But as we do that, John, before we get going here, uh, Mike, uh, Mike Hilmes, one of uh, uh, one of our Accelerate members has a question. And that question uh, for those of you who don't remember, we we talked about uh, sparking conversation. So we're going to implement some of the things we've learned here. Uh, and I loved what uh, I loved how Mike phrased it. He goes, "Please ask John what's the most exciting thing he is working on right now, uh, so that we can support him." <laughs> so, what uh, what are some of the most exciting projects that you're working on right now, John?
1: Ah, well, um, okay, so quickly, a couple of things. First is, is, you know, as I said, there've been a series of Go-Giver books and, and they're like, again, like five kids, which one do you love the most? Well, you know, I just love them all. Um, But I just did this book uh, with my wife, Go-Giver Marriage. And when I was, when I first wrote the first draft of Go-Giver back in 2005, three years before it came out, My wife picked it up and read it and said, this would be a great book about marriage, about relationships. And it took us until now to do what we did. So this is the five, it's called the five secrets to lasting love. And all it is, it's the five laws of stratospheric success translated in the realm of relationships. It is about marriage, but it isn't just about marriage. It's about relationships in general. It applies to your kids. It applies to your colleagues. It applies to your friends and so on and so forth. So we're in the middle of of talking about that. We just, just came out of March. And we're doing workshops around that. And we're going to develop a training program for Go-Giver marriage coaches. And so that's very, very exciting. We wanted to expand the Go-Giver world beyond the the, the specific definitions of business, parameters of business, and into the world of of, our lives, our families, our wives and husbands and so forth. So so that's exciting. The other thing is- John,
0: before, I think you've got one more that I wanted you to talk about here. But um, the Go-Giver Marriage, uh, by the way, all of the Go-Giver series is on the action link that uh, that Don just posted. So, if you go to the, click on the link there, please do me a favor, click on this link. If And nothing else, you don't don't feel compelled to buy anything unless you want to. Um, but John's all of John's work is there from the Go-Giver series. Uh, if the workshops interest you, they're there as well. But uh, do me a favor, click on that action link. So, that'll get you all of his resources. It'll show up. You might want to, if you want to, Uh, favorite it so that you can go back there. If you want to remember something, you want to buy some books to be able to give them away uh, like Derek Stevens did with me. Um, So I appreciate that, Derek. Um, So do me a favor, click on that link. And then what I want you to do, thank you, John. Uh, (laughs) Welcome. So you've also, um, you are a prolific writer. You mentioned another, I don't know if that's what you want to talk. Maybe you've got a more exciting project, but you've got something else uh, coming up here. Can you tell us a little bit about it?
1: Yeah, sure. Absolutely. So preface this by saying, my wife and I have been together for 25 years and for years and years, for most of those 25 years, she would say to me periodically, you would write great novels. And I would say, thank you for the vote of confidence. Translation. Yeah, I don't think so. (laughs) I was not practicing the fifth law. I couldn't receive that. I, I just didn't believe I didn't have enough belief in myself, but that's okay because she did and she kept saying it and she kept holding on to that vision when I couldn't and so eventually I did. Um, My first novel came out last year it was called Steel Fear it is a thriller Um, and it is a 400 page thriller it was very well received and we are about to come out with the sequel I just got the hardcover copies and they look so cool. Uh, (laughs) There you are whoops cold fear Webb Webb is a, uh, Brandon Webb, my friend, is a former Navy SEAL sniper. So Brandon and I wrote these books together. I'm very excited about this book. Um, The first book, Steel Fear, uh, is a, a leadership parable disguised as a crime novel. I love slipping concepts and teachings into mysteries. So this is also a mystery, as I said in Iceland, Cold Fear, and it is a parable about friendship disguised as a crime novel. It's your MacGuffin. It's my MacGuffin. People buy it for the mystery, but that's not what they're really buying it for. They're buying it for their personal transformation. People read great mysteries. People read mysteries not just to solve the puzzle. That's the wrapping. They buy it because of the journey that the character goes on. So to to, to, to hyper-concentrate value into, the, into a book like this is to make the characters as rich, as real, as human as possible and have them go through transformation in that book. Because as you read the book, you do too. So I'm excited about that. That comes out June 7th, Cold Fear. That's awesome. June 17th, Thank, you said? June 7th. First Seven. Of June 7th, June got it. Coming, coming right up. We're going on a book tour, appearing live in, in a number of cities around the country. Um, and there's a website for that, which is simply Cold Fear, the book. coldfearthebook.com. Thank you, Brian, for giving me that platform. Tell you Uh, about my exciting project. Well,
0: the, uh, thank you, Mike. Thank you, Mike. So perfect. All right. Um, yeah, by the way, some folks are already out there grabbing the book. Now, by the way, uh, we have a prolific writer here, so choose your favorite book, but I will tell you one of the best strategies personally has been to give away books. And, um, the, I see Dan Lewig shaking his head and many of yeah. many others in the community here. We know readers are leaders and um, learners are earners. So, we, books are a big part of this. John, please know the Go-Giver has been one that we've been giving away. And um, mm-hmm. so, if you are interested, I'd encourage you. One of the ways to open up a relationship, a quick story. I shared a book. You know, as you guys, many of you know, I'm in the mortgage business. I just simply shared a, a book with one of the strategic partners that I wanted to get, that I wanted to have a conversation with. And When we shared that conversation around a book, then it just opened up a different realm of relationship. So, when we have, and the whole purpose of books, and John, this is what I love about your book, is because when we give books, you know, it opens the door for people to realize that we want more for people than we want from them. That's how we get known as a giver, when we want more for people than we want from them. So, that's the great part. When we can feed people, when you read a book, And then you take something and it changes the way you think. It maybe changes the way you feel or maybe changes the way you act. That's when things start to change for you and for the people in your community. So I would encourage you, whether it's the go giver, whether it's the go giver leader, whether it's the go giver marriage, find a book. And this is where, again, I'm coming back to what started this event. Spend some time becoming a better leader, working on yourself. The law of authenticity, the best gift we have to offer is ourself. So, And we can do it around one of John's books. I would highly encourage it. I've given away countless, countless copies of The Go-Giver. And I'm not looking, I'm not trying to impress you with that. I'm just trying to impress upon you that it changes the influence that you have in the marketplace. So, because people don't throw away books, they have great lessons in them. And there's no better lessons than what are being taught with the five laws that, uh, that John's covered with us today. So um, anything, uh, any last comments, uh, if you could, that would be helpful for John. John, I want you to do me a favor. I want you to go into, um, and if you would just receive the gift of encouraging people, um, go in and take a look at the comments of the impact that you've had based off of what people are saying they're going to do after listening to you. And so that is, uh, that is the, that's the true, because we always encourage people to take action. You can meet all you want, but it's the action you take. So make sure you- I love
1: I love what Rachel said. Giving my time will allow me to gain more time. I wouldn't have thought of that, and I love it. Yeah, I wouldn't have thought of it either, and I and I love it too. It's like, how does that work? It just works.
0: <laughs> oh, that's awesome. All, All right. right, well, we are uh, John. So let's uh, we're gonna we're gonna wrap up here because we're gonna do a couple things to close out. Um, but John, again, we're let's give John some big Zoom hands and say thank you very much. A warm St. Louis and Mastermind Project. Thank you. So, John. So, St.
1: Louis, St. Louis has been the number one city for the go-giver. Do you know this? This is really true. More GoGiver action has happened out of St. Louis than any other city in the, in the United States. Boom, you guys,
0: something's right. in
1: the water. Something's in the water. I don't know what it is. Well, St. we St. Louis, do. Uh,
0: we do hope that this. Uh, I, I don't think this event is the uh, is the primary reason, but I hope it is a continued reason because we're trying to change the way business is done in this community with this event. So, um, thank you again, John. Well, there you have it. Another Mastermind Project podcast. We want to thank you for being here and investing in yourself. Uh, That's the key to growth because we know that growth doesn't happen accidentally. It happens intentionally. So, thank you for investing in yourself. We hope that you found something here useful. As a matter of fact, it's our desire that you've heard something from this podcast that would make a difference if you implement it in your business. And we know that success favors the speed of implementation. Take a note, take action on something that you've learned here. It'll make a difference. We'd love to hear about it. So, and you can also join us and tell us a little bit about it at our next live event. And you can register for that at com www.briankmccray.com. We've got our mastermind event scheduled there, and you can join us virtually uh, at our next event on the third Thursday of the month. So for this time and until next time, study things that matter, practice things that matter, and teach things that matter to people who care. Appreciate you.